Hello and welcome to the Formula E Zone podcast. Now, my name is Jack George Maynard and we'll be doing a special podcast today. We'll be doing an end of season review looking at all the teams. And with me to do the podcast as ever is Tobias Blue. Hey ho! How are you, Jack? Not bad. I'm 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 very well. Looking forward to this podcast. I think we've got a real lot to talk about. Season 5 was thrilling really from start to finish so we've got a lot to discuss oh yeah first discussion topic was it the best season do you think that's interesting (laughs) putting you on the spot here that's interesting (laughs) um i think it was one of the trying to think of a good season i like season three a bit season four of rose and chris and mahindra's i'd probably say it was probably one of the better seasons yeah it was the best Sorry uh, to put you on the spot there. Uh, nah, the spontaneous right. question that popped into my mind. But it was uh, a good question, to be fair. But what I want to say just before we start, yeah. this is the fir- oh, yeah. um, first podcast we're doing without Dan. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart how much I really appreciated Dan on the podcast. did an amazing job. And I know he's probably listening. But obviously with lots of work that he's got on his end plus his own channel, it was sort of like just the workload was just a little bit too much for him. And that was fully understandable. So I just want to say a massive thank you at the start of the podcast to Dan. Thank you, Dan. We love you. We love you too. I hope you're listening. Right, so let's get on with it. So we're going to start from the bottom first of the team's championship and then we'll just move our way on. So, this season, the bottom team was Neo. Tobias, how would you assess Neo's season? Shambles. Shambolic season for them. I really feel for them um, because so much went wrong in the summer of 2018 and then they had their car homologated and the drivers were really doing their best um tom dillman oliver turvey both amazingly talented drivers but they didn't stand a chance against well not even against their competition against their car dillman the only driver to have competed in each and every race this season not scored a single point um yeah he's now listed as 24th I think in the overall standings we obviously had 25 different drivers taking part this season and Tom Dillman didn't score a point in any race it's just and crazy really Tom Tom Dillman's crazy, Tom yeah. Dillman's best place was 12th like the only he couldn't even get one place outside the points 12th place he scored it twice so yep. it was a real difficult season for Tom Dillman and, and Tom Dillman set the world alight when he came into Formula E you have to remember that when he stepped into that Venturi he was quick so it just really showed for me, and obviously we know how quick Turvey is. He's been in it since the end of season one, and you know to only score seven points. He's been on pole position. He's been on the podium. Um, you know, obviously we're going back last season when he was leading the Mexico E Prix and and then fell back to second. But it was <sighs> just a really, it's been a really difficult season. And my question for you really is, look, this is the real horrible thing about when you're in a team as a driver that's struggling. Because you all, all of a sudden sort of become forgotten. Like Tom Dillman's achievements when he first jumped into a Formula E car, when you just spend the whole season at the back doing nothing, I feel like you forget that. I feel like you forget how good Oliver Turvey actually is. So I'm, I'm wondering, as a driver perspective, I know their seats aren't technically confirmed for next season, but you know, would you be with the driver market being a bit funny as it is? We won't go into that too much now, but would you maybe be on the phone to some other teams? Hmm. Well, I know for a fact that Tom Dillman, well, he said to me in in Berlin already that he's pretty much set and uh, that he is not planning on changing teams. I'm not sure about Oliver Turvey though. 
He's been with the team ever since day one. And, um, oh no, day two, it, he joined well, in season two, did he? Well, he, he joined London, it was London, it was London, oh, yeah, he made right. a season debut in London, the double header. Ah, you're right, yeah. Um, well, he's been with the team for a long time, let's just say that. And he's been involved in the development of all these cars they, they produced. And as I said, he's been on pole position, he's been in contention whole race wins. He's without question one of the better drivers on this grid. There are no, no bad drivers on this grid. Um, but Oliver Turvey is one of the better ones out of the great ones. Um, difficult to tell, because I don't really see a seat opening up for him. Um, My only suggestion only could be Mahindra, if Pascal Verlein is not there. But apart from that, I don't really see any others. Any others that are probably worth going to, well, that he might be called up on. Speculation. Yeah, speculation. Well, we'll, get into, is, that. we'll get into yeah, that we, later. We love speculating on this podcast, but to be honest, I don't have a clue where all the drivers are ending up next year, including no. Oliver Turvey. For now, I'll just say he his best chance is staying with Neo. I would agree. Um, yeah. I would agree to that. But the thing is, it's interesting, actually, talking about Neo, because Neo have been a, a, a team that... You know, off the track in their sort of like road car going, they're showing off all these amazing electric supercars and they're trying to beat records at the Nürburgring and, you know, they're mm-hmm. piling out this new Neo uh, electric SUV range. And you'd think, you know, Formula E must be like, with all the stuff that they're doing behind the scenes in their road car would be really feeding into making a fantastic Formula E car. But it's just the last two seasons and obviously last season they finished 8th in the Constructors Championship this season they finished 11th and only picking up 7 points the worst performance I think by any team in Formula E this this year so it's why do you think it's not working? Well their biggest problem this year arguably was the homologation date or not maybe not the date but the fact that cars have to be homologated and that you can change hardware after that and Neo surely had a problem on their powertrain. Um, I don't. We don't know it for certain, but it looks pretty, pretty. Cl- it seems pretty clear that they had a problem with their powertrain, and they weren't efficient enough. They weren't quick enough in quali. Uh, they couldn't profit off of any situation, rain or sunshine. They were never good in any situation. Uh, so that indicates a problem with their car on the hardware side, and a problem that can't be fixed with with software. Um, yeah, and after their car had been homologated, they obviously couldn't change anything on the hardware side of things, and that's they, they pretty much shot themselves in the foot even before the season got underway. Now, with a new season coming, they obviously had a lot of time to look into their issues and had a lot of time developing their new powertrain for this new season and uh, homologation is coming up in the next couple of weeks and uh, they have a new chance it's pretty much a clean sheet of paper Um, obviously other teams have an advantage uh, because they have more data with better powertrains and they are now kind of trying to to close the gap uh, to their competition but in my view it was the fact that Neo had their hardware and that they couldn't change anything and they were lost from the get-go and now they're trying will be trying surely for season six to make up that disadvantage and maybe turn it into an advantage uh, going into the new season 
I'm optimistic. So I uh, might as well talk about it now <laughs> rather than waiting to the end. So there was a there was a story that came out saying that there might be some changes going into Neo for next season, like the likes there could be a different sort of company sort of taking over the team and maybe key personnel like Jerry Hughes, who's been the team principal of the team for a couple of seasons now, could be, you know, walking out and you know the Neo brand because obviously as we were saying, they were doing so well in the road industry with their electric cars and pushing that. But then when you're getting the the publicity of not winning Formula E races and being at the back, that's probably not good for selling electric cars in the future. So maybe this sort of change that could be happening might make sense. Hmm, I wouldn't go approach it. I wouldn't go as far as approaching it from from a marketing point of view because. According to that report that came out recently by our dear colleagues at E-Racing 365, Neo will still remain, even though there are plans for a new company owning the team, Neo will still remain the title sponsor of the team. Um, so the yeah. name of the company, Neo, will still be on their car. Uh, I think it's just a matter of, of operational staff, maybe, or operational uh, yeah, processes, maybe. And um, Neo, of course, wants to focus. That's their argument, their line of argument, that they want to focus on their road car development and kind of don't uh, don't want to abandon Formula E because that's an amazing testing ground for them. Um, not really sure <laughs> why Neo are leaving as as the owner of the team, but there will be reasons for it, and I think those reasons are operational and not. More marketing, marketing reasons yeah fair play now then let's move on to dragon now i think the early days of being third and in the constructors or the team's championship back in like season one and you know battling at the top those days for dragon have just disappeared like again where do you think where do you think it's gone wrong for dragon their management well, <laughs> again, don't say that too near Jay Penske. <laughs> similar to Nia, though, it's not the drivers. It might be the car, but we, we've seen that the car is capable of delivering good performances. Max Gunther was amazing this year. Um, was in contention for... not. He wasn't in contention for podiums, but top five finishes were possible, and he did manage that on one occasion or two occasions. Not sure. Uh, uh, two. two occasions. Yeah, he was fifth in, in Paris, uh, and, Paris Bern. and in Bern. And Max is, has proven to be an amazing and outstanding driver this year. I was really surprised by him. Personally for me, he's my driver of the year. Oh, no, not my driver, but my rookie of the year. Um, there are other amazing rookies we've had, Pascal Wehrlein, Oliver Rowland, just to name two, but the way Max Gunther handled the situation, the management situation at Dragon, um, was outstanding in my, in my eyes, and he just kept his head down and focused on the task ahead of him, and didn't let anything happening uh, on the contractual side of things. Uh, him, obviously kind of being thrown out of the team halfway through the season being replaced by Felipe Nasa. Um he kept his head down and delivered and um, yeah Dragon scored 23 points in the end of the year he is responsible responsible for 20 of them um, so he did an amazing job out qualified and out out drove his much and far more experienced teammate Pechita Lopez who did a decent job but couldn't really keep up with Gunther um, come the European season 
Um, it's been a difficult year for Dragon, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that was the main surprise. Obviously, you know, the, the weirdness of switching drivers for Gunther, who arguably you could say at the beginning of the season was also struggling. But Jose Maria Lopez is a driver that... Okay, remember when he came to Dragon Season 4, straight after the mess with Nilyani, and he he set the world alight. Like, that Dragon car looked like it was bottom, and all of a sudden Jose Maria Lopez taken to the Super Bowl and, and was proven the good driver that he was at Virgin when he was there at Season 3. But for me, seeing Jose Maria Lopez not even get to grips with that car was really interesting. Like, there were some bright sparks. Like, yes, they made you know a Super Bowl appearance here and there and a good qualifying performance and maybe one or two getting some good points. But it just... I found it interesting that, you know, I think the Formula E paddock really rates Jose Maria Lopez. And the fact that he didn't get it together this season, I thought it was really interesting. And that for Gunther in the second half of the season really did outperform him. Yep. Difficult to tell what the reason behind all of that is. Um, But they were struggling. And, um, of course, they didn't have the best of cars. It doesn't, sadly, it doesn't look like they'll have a better car next year as well. Um, there was a report out a couple of weeks ago that they might be becoming a, or w- that they might were planning on becoming a a customer team and um, ending their constructor relationship with FE. Turns that out makes sense for me because they they make as I said it was like when I was talking to Alex Ty at Virgin last season in Paris when they were Virgin were talking about you know, losing the DS manufacturer and becoming a customer team, we're like, we don't make cars, and the Dragon team doesn't make cars. So, it might make sense for them not to waste all this money building a powertrain, and let someone else who is a car manufacturer actually come in, and maybe become their, or they already they buy an, uh, an existing uh, team like Audi with Virgin, or Nissans, or so forth, DS maybe. But and, big, and go that way. But the big problem with that is that you have to hand in your application for a customer team uh, by the end of January. And January 2019 is a couple of months ago. And thing is... It might be something they do for Season 7, though. They, they might plan that for Season 7. But thing is, they missed the deadline for Season 6. So they were p- maybe planning or they had had the thought of becoming a customer team that's what i understand the team wasn't sadly and obviously willing to comment on that but from what i understand is that dragon was planning on buying a powertrain from another team from another manufacturer they missed the deadline and didn't start development on their own powertrain in the meantime because they were they totally forgot about it. That's what I understand. And that's, of course, a rumor and all of that. The team didn't want to comment on that, but that's what I've heard so far. And by the look of things, Dragon won't have a Season 6 powertrain. As of now, of course, we're all waiting for confirmation on, on, on yeah, the final final lists and all of that and the applications handed into the FIA. Um, but by the... <laughs> currently, it doesn't look good for Dragon because it seems as if they don't have s- developed a season six powertrain themselves, and as if they don't have a customer deal with any manufacturer, which would mean that they'd have to run their season five powertrain in season six. And that doesn't look promising, does it? No, it doesn't. 
I hope we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll have to but wait and see. I, I hope it's just a rumor, uh, but from what I've gathered in these final European races, um, Eva did report about it, um, and that's broadly what, what others have confirmed to me as well, that they won't continue as a manufacturer for the near future, and that they might have to run their Season 5 powertrain for, for next year. It doesn't I, look good, no. Now, if you remember, like, before we move away from Dragon, all the Ford links that Dragon were sort of, like, being encompassed with, and I feel like if... if uh, Jay Penske's very good at getting people on board. Now, the way it looks like it's going for Dragon, it looks like they need help. And remember, they, you know, back to Season 3, I remember being in, in London, and Jay Penske was giving us a whole presentation about this Faraday future link. Going in for season four, it's never encompassed. Like that was supposed to be their major back in their major OEM in a sense, that would help mm -hmm. them into season four and season five, which completely collapsed. Which has probably been part of the reason why Dragon have collapsed so much. So I feel like they do need help from somewhere. Now, you know, it'd be it'd be really interesting because obviously I don't know how much Jay Penske can relate to his father. Obviously with Roger Penske now. Roger, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not sure if you'll know yourself, but because I've just thought of it off the top of my head, in IndyCar, there's the Penske cars are Chevrolet cars. I'm pretty sure they are. They're Chevrolet run engines. I'm pretty. I'm, I'm research that. I'm pretty <laughs> confident. I'm pretty confident now because um, Simon Pagano was a won the Indy 500. And it's just come into my brain. And he runs the 22 Minard yellow car, which is a Penske car, and that's powered by a Chevrolet engine. Anyway, what I'm getting at that is there's obviously there's a good relationship there with America. like, And obviously American teams like Chevrolet, Ford, they would have to eventually move to this electric sort of power train as well. And Chevrolet have got a massive racing pedigree, so do Ford. So I'm thinking, you know, with all the OEMs that we've got right now, I feel like, Jay, maybe just get on the phone and say if there's anyone in America that could help you right now. So, I don't know. That would be my, my dream. Would I would love to see Chevrolet. I'm a big Chevrolet fan. I really love their cars. It's a shame I can't buy them in the United Kingdom. But hmm. I, I, I think that might be a good move. That you know, I reckon really they probably will be brought out. Maybe Jay Penske might be there to still run the team, maybe operationally, but maybe some help from a manufacturer probably is what they need desperately. Uh, according to the encyclopedia of my confidence and my trust, Penske is running Chevy cars in an IndyCar. Yeah. I thought so. I don't know why I doubt myself <laughs> for a second. I was like, when I asked myself, I was like, yeah, I'm sure. Simon Page, no, what? And never mind. Okay. IndyCar, this is Formula E. <laughs> but I still think it would be awesome to see either Ford or Chevrolet in. And obviously, Dragon is an American team. And to keep that, you know that American team in there, essentially, because we sort of had two with Andre, but now sort of their German with BMW making more of a focus on that with just American links with Andretti. You know, it could be it could be a really interesting prospect. Now, moving on to a team that you probably took a lot of interest in this season, HWA. Soon to be Mercedes, but we're HWA this season. I think they had an amazing season. Was a classic rookie year for them, wasn't it? It was a, a really good year. learning bed for Mercedes, and I think the Mercedes will 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 take this as a really good baseline to move forward from. Sure, because now the team knows, and in the end of the day, HWA will still kind of run the trackside operations for Mercedes, and now their team knows 
how things are going in Formula E, you have to keep in mind that the one-day former Dothel Race events is special. And if you look at what HWA did before, they did DTM, that's a whole weekend. Mercedes, with the support coming out of Brackley's doing F1, that's a whole weekend. And you have to squeeze everything together in Formula E for one day. And that takes a bit of time to get used to. And so it's good that HWA have the experience now and just generally know how things are running in, in Formula E, how how much time things take. They understand the cars a bit. They know how the chassis, chassis works a bit. And they're coming as a manufacturer next year with Mercedes and we'll be looking to... <sighs> Yeah, of course they'll be looking to replicate their success in Formula 1. I'm I'm doubting that this, this will happen next year already. Um, but, but I think they're in a good line, to be fair. I think they'll be like a Red Bull. Like, they, they, they've set a good baseline. Thereabouts, like yeah. someone someone who might not finish on the podium every race, but might finish on the podium every now and then. I think that would be a really good... If, if Mercedes were achieving that next season, I think that would be a very solid start. But just focus a bit more on HWA. I think... They did have that slow start to the season, but then it sort of started to click together around Santiago with Stoffel Van Dorn's first Super Bowl appearance. And then in Hong Kong, you know, getting that pole position. Like Ever since that pole position, Tobias, for Stoffel Van Dorn, the fortunes for that team seemed to just massively change going into the second half of the season. They were always good on, on hot laps, especially Stoffel was amazing on one fast and quick lap. But... In the long run, they maybe didn't have the best and the, the most efficient powertrain. And of course, their major problem this year was their drive shafts. Um, yes. We saw. Remember the classic how many, Rome? How many after cars it, retired because of drive shaft issues? Quite a few, quite a number. Quite a few, and yeah. most of them were HWA and Venturi, because obviously, yeah. remembering they were using the Venturi powertrain. Yep. And that's really been hindering them this year. HWA finished ninth after all. Um, and in the end, that's a decent result for a team coming in as rookies. Um, 44 points to their name. But that could have been a lot more uh, had it not been for, for the reliability of their, of their car and of their powertrain. But as I say, it's... It's been a learning year for them, and they've set a good baseline. They now understand Formula E, and I'm sure are ready to attack and to pounce next year. Because I think it was sort of that race in Rome, just to go back for it, where Van Dorn finished third, you know, the first podium for the team. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it was... It, you wanted him to be part of that fight with Evans and Lotterer, but he just fell back. And he had... To be fair, for, normally for HWO at the beginning of the season... They had that great qualifying performance and then they just slipped back and further back and further back and further back. But Rome for me was really stand out simply because he fell back, yes, from Lotterer and Evans, but he had a gap to the dozing fourth and fifth, which was, I think, a big plus sign for HWH. It's shown that they had made gains in software, that they were moving in the right direction. And, you know, to rather than falling back every race, to actually maintain position and actually get away but drop back a little bit from the leading runs was, for me, a, a fantastic uh, show of development and how much they'd actually progressed this season. And and obviously then you said on the on the way back, the drive shaft failed. 
which was interesting. So he had to walk his way back to the to the podium ceremony, <laughs> got, capping off their reliability issues that he said. But all in all, I thought it was a really good season. Absolutely, yeah. Rome, arguably, of course, being their highlight of the year. Also, Berlin was good. Um, Stoffel finished in P5 there. P5, yep. At the team's home race. A good race again, well. and was able to keep up. Absolutely, yeah. So we we did see a bit of promising pace here and there coming out of the HWA team. Um, and as I say, lots of promises made for, for next year. I'll be interested to see where Mercedes are um, come November. Come testing. Yeah, not testing. November. Oh, yeah, come, come, come. Never believe in the testing times, well, yeah, Jack. Yeah, testing no, doesn't mean a, a thing. A lot of people did uh, this season, and we'll get on to that um, in, a, in a short while. <laughs> but then, Venturi. Next, and I just feel it's same old, same old with Venturi. It's just yeah. another season, just pirating along, like just finishing towards the back, but beating a few teams, having... A random day in Hong Kong for whatever reason. Hong Kong is like they wish they could race there every week because if they raced every week, they could <laughs> they could win the championship. Because again, Eduardo Motor in Hong Kong was there or thereabouts, and then with the kerfuffle at the end of Andre Lauder and Sam Bird and Sam Bird getting penalty, but Motor coming home in second, they actually they get their first win. But again, this season when you say it's like oh. Not a great season, just the same old, you know, just finishing towards the back. But they got a win. They did, yeah. But after the win, Motara didn't score a single point. Uh, it, it looked so, very promising uh, at the beginning of the year. Fourth in Santiago, third in Mexico. Um, obviously profited enormously from the Pascal Verlein penalty. Um, that's the only reason he was on the podium. Well, I mean, he wasn't on the podium, but he was... He was Qualify, he, he, yeah, he was third in the end, um, and won in Hong Kong. And after Hong Kong, he didn't score a single point. Um, Massa then kind of carried on with a point streak for HWA. Uh, he was third in Monaco at the team's home race, probably their highlight of the year. I'd maybe right rate that that race on a similar level to Hong Kong, just for what it means for the Monegasque team to win in Monaco. Um, yeah, but all in all, Venturi had six races without a single point, and that's maybe the reason they are not where they want to be. Uh, they ended the season in eighth, which is fair enough. Susie Wolf did an amazing job as a team principal. Uh, you have to give it to yeah. her. That was really good. Um, did a good job at managing the team. Uh, which isn't always very easy. Uh, just go and ask Dragon. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. But but but, but Venturi, they they were decent, but they were not one of the front runners. But by far, you have to remember though with Venturi is that they're not going to have the budget of the BMW mm-hmm. of yeah. the Audi, and yes, they're running as an OEM themselves, and they you know they do produce. They were like you know trying to build that fastest electric car in the world when Formula E was you know be- being born. So they had like interest in obviously Formula E and, and electric cars and the production of them. But I just feel like because and this is where Formula E now as as it begins to grow. 
as we sort of see in Formula One, where the teams that have got the bigger budgets and you know got the more resources, more people, because Venturi is only a very small, little, tiny team. You have to remember this compared to the likes of Audi and BMW and Jaguar True, and yeah. so forth. So I feel like what they're achieving for them is probably good. But then for me, I feel, I think maybe they should be. I think a good season for them next season is challenging Mahindra because I feel like Mahindra are at a similar level, sort of operationally, as as Venturi. So I feel like for for Venturi to have a successful season next year, they've got to start being a bit more consistent and fighting Mahindra a bit more because in terms of that little midfield bow going on and, and teams that don't have that much money. They're not doing as good of a job as Mahindra. So I feel like they need to, for them to start having successful seasons and to start thinking they're having so-so seasons, same old, same old every season from Venturi, is they've got to start battling Mahindra. Hmm. Would you good agree? Idea. Yeah, I, I would agree, but I wouldn't say they are on the same level operationally. I think Mahindra still is a bit superior to Venturi, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree um, But Venturi could use Mahindra... To pull them along and pull them towards the yeah. top. I think um, that should be their yeah. target. Mahindra could sense. be a good target for them, yeah. It depends on, of course, how, how the cars and the performance of the powertrains of the cars are next year. Um, we'll have to wait and see, really, how things stand in November. Um, but if we only take Season 5 performance, Mahindra would be a good team to pull Venturi along if Venturi wants to get itself out of the bottom four. So let's say, just as, as a quick wrap-up, let's just say HWA, which become Mercedes now, we'd expect Mercedes to beat Venturi next season in the standings. I think that would be a sort of like a gimme. You'd sort of expect Mercedes to beat them. So if, you know, Neo finished again last in Dragon, and that sort of pushes... Venturi down a position and then and then they're ninth in the team's championship rather than being uh eighth. Well they could be tenth because once if Porsche beats them, so then all of a sudden what's well, looking like they're doing okay, it sort of becomes like a bad season. So that's why I'm saying like for Venturi you've got to be targeting like to try and be one of the front runners of the midfield. Or trying to be in the in the battle with the midfield runners, because otherwise what we're thinking is okay now for Venturi in 12 months' time when we do this again, it might not be okay. Happy days. Right. Jaguar then is the next one. So, Tobias, how do you assess the Jaguar season? Because I think they've had they've had a fairly decent season. Mm, they did, yeah. I've always had a bit of a sweet spot for Jaguar. Um, always really liked the job they were doing at building their team pretty much from scratch. Although I have to say they had a reasonably... Uh, you didn't notice Jaguar a lot, apart from Rome and Burn, maybe. Um, it sort of came on second half of the season. Like, first yeah. half of the season, they were still struggling with the current, and we had that mess with Nelson Piquet Jr., and we can't forget that. Like, Nelson Piquet Jr. was really struggling in that car, which arguably back in season uh, season three when they signed uh, Piquet, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was season three. They uh, did but anyway, but when, they signed, when they signed Piquet, that was their big driver announcement. They killed the season one champion, and he had an okay season. Like, you know, I think it's his season against Mitch Evans in season four 
was sort of criticised a little bit because you know everyone thought Mitch Evans did well, but but PK outqualified Mitch Evans in that seat over the course of that season seven to five. So I feel like he, you know he was a good driver, but he really struggled at the beginning of the season. Who, Mitch or Nelson? Nelson. Uh, one point. He only scored one point. Got the point in Adiria, and then the next couple of races that he was in, he failed to score. Yeah. Hmm. He didn't have the best of, of years. I understand the reasoning uh, given by James Barkley that the results just weren't the ones the team was aiming for. He was 10th in Adiria, 14th in Marrakesh, P11 in, in Chile. Then, d- did he finish in Mexico and Hong Kong? No, I don't he, think he, he, he didn't. crashed, didn't he? It was the famous yeah. crash over the top of, I think it was... Ah, yeah, you're right. He Degrassi. didn't finish. No, it was, was it Degrassi or Verne? I can't remember. But it was one of the... It was Verne, yeah. It was Verne. It was Verne in Mexico. And he and went I over think, the top and... And I think he ended up in the wall in Hong Kong. And then 16th in Sanya. Uh, was nowhere that race. Oh, well, he was somewhere that race, but did a mistake himself and ended up in the wall. And, um, yeah, not the best of years for him. The year before, he had a lot of bad luck. You remember the belt story, of course. Yes. Um, with the regulations being adapted halfway through the season and, and him and it, losing he out. He also hit the kill switch in one race where he just turned the car off by mistake. Yeah. So season four, this, the latter part of season four wasn't the best. The first part of season season five wasn't the best as well. So I understand the team's decision in uh, showing him the door. Um, having said that, I was really surprised by how Alex Lynn bounced back. And I think I've spoken about that in one of the pre- previous episodes. But he joined the team in Rome and he hasn't been in the car and hasn't had a single mile in, in a Jaguar under his belt uh, before shakedown in Rome. He was out of Formula E for more than half a year, almost one year, and uh, he bounced back, didn't score a point in Rome, um, but he was he was there or thereabout, and then continuously improved and got to grips with the car and was and soon, well, was able to beat Mitch Evans, and uh, that was really surprising. Um, he was near a podium finish in Berlin, near a podium finish in New York as well. Uh, so Alex Lynn only scored 10 points. Half of Max Günther was able to. Um, but just like Max, Alex should have scored a lot more points this year. Um, especially in New York. Especially in New York. Um, reliability as well was the big hindering factor for him. Um, yeah, I think and then... I've yeah. I think for Jaguar, I think really and truly it was the rise of Mitch Evans. And now we all knew Mitch Evans was a really good driver, but he really took the ball between the horns in this season. And I think he dragged that car further forward than it should have been. Because the car <laughs> did struggle at the beginning of the season. Even Mitch struggled, but midway point, it just, it, all of a sudden, Evans, he just started climbing and climbing and climbing up that uh, the order and the standings. And, you know, getting that first win in Rome, and what a way to do it. A fantastic move past Lottery to get Jaguar's first win. I thought it was a fantastic season for Evans. It was, yeah. And he can really p- be proud of himself. He was also on the podium in, in Bern and New York, and uh, he did a fantastic and an outstanding job this year. 
as you say, he maybe dragged the car and did score better results than the car was intending him to. Um, but that's fair enough. He did an amazing job, and uh, on, on he, he, and that's a thing I'm, I'm I really like about his results and his season generally. When he was good, he was good on merit, and he didn't need any luck. Of course, it rained in in um, in, in Bern, and uh, but even without the rain, he had the pace to beat John Eric Verne. It was just a matter of a lack of overtaken opportunities um, and if he was good he was good on, mer on merit and when he was good he was good on merit and um, that was really impressive to me and P5 in the championship only three points behind P3 in the championship um, I'm sure we can expect a lot more uh, for next year if the car is good but would you call this season for Jaguar a, a successful season considering that they scored 116 points but last season they scored 119 so would you class this season for Jaguar as a success I would yeah although they scored fewer points I would still score it as a, as a success yes um, simply for oh. the fact that they developed a lot throughout the course of these 13 races and they have a win to show now, a couple of podium places. I would say it was a successful season for Jaguar. Um, and they would have had more points on, on their tally had it not been for for the bad luck that seemed to follow Nelson, Nelson Piquet Jr. in the first half of the year. Perfect. And right, Alex Lynn in on the second part of the year. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to Mahindra. So Mahindra, I think... I think Mahindra had a really good season. I really do. It was a bit of a mixed bag. They show potential in some races, you know, especially with Verline, Mexico. You have to go back to Monaco. They did quite well as well. But I think this has really been the first season where Mahindra have been caught. Now, I remember speaking to Dilbag back in, again, Paris last season, actually, it was. And I said, do you think Mahindra can take, take it to Audi and and Nissan at the time, which was Renault, and you know, and the big boys at the front of the grid. And he was really hoping, he was like, look, we can, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I feel like that work, not by Mahindra's fault, hasn't been done, but I feel like the bigger teams are now starting to to, to like push forward, and that underdog story that is Mahindra is starting to just become a little bit less and a little bit less. Hmm... Because I you have to remember, Mahindra were a, you know, were a, a team that were fighting against the odds against Renault and Audi, and no one was expecting little tiny Mahindra to be doing that. And I feel like now it's, you know, it's starting to peter out. They still won a race, though, and they yes. did score pole positions uh, and podiums. I still think it was a very good season, but I just feel like it's the early signs of them slipping into a more midfield sort of team. Hmm, I think... Yeah, it's difficult to tell. The first half of the year was really good for Mahindra. Um, and the second half was a bit of, of a yo-yo effect. Uh, they turned up to the races and had no idea, and we as journalists had no idea whether they were going to be good or bad. And one weekend they were amazing and their car suited the track. And then we went to a similar circuit and a circuit that demanded a similar setup 
and all of a sudden they were nowhere. Um, really difficult to tell what the reason for all of that is, um, but I feel that that kind of demotivated the team a bit. Not uh, no, that's not fair to say. Um, but I feel like they didn't know themselves whether they were going to be good or bad um, going into the race weekend, and that just psychologically is maybe a bit, a bit. Yeah, not I, I, ideal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I get what you mean, and I remember it from from Verline actually from interviewing him this season, where I said, you know, where's the pace gone from the beginning of the season? He just he looked in his pocket and he went, I don't know, I'm, uh, it might be in my, I don't know where it's gone. He's like looking for it in his own clothes, like I don't know where the pace has gone from the beginning of the season. It's just like we turn up the races and we're not quite sure whether or not we'll be quick or not, as you said. So I thought it was interesting, and maybe you know, obviously the drivers would be like, "Well, I don't know where our performance has gone," and then the team's like, "Well, I don't know where the performance has gone," and maybe, as you might have said, it might have demotivated them or made them scratch their heads a little bit, thinking, "How on earth has you know winning the race in Marrakesh with D'Ambrosio gone from just fighting in the midfield and getting..." And when you start fighting in the midfield in Formula E, then that's when you get caught up with those silly incidents. And I think Hong Kong was the telling point for Mahindra, where. You know, they were at the back of the grid and and for no front of their own, they crash into each other. And that sort of just curtailed that little spell of just bad luck. And then they picked it up again in Monaco and towards the end of the season, like you could argue that they started, Verline was starting to get quick again and they were starting to get the grips of the car again. But it was just a little bit too late. How would you rate Pascal's rookie year? I think he's done a good season. I think there was, I think, so close to winning in Mexico. And, you know, he arguably should have finished second in Monaco, but he made that mistake. But in some races, maybe because of the car, you didn't really see Pascal. Like, he went missing. Uh, A bit like Roland, I suppose, towards the end as well, because, you know, Roland in the middle of the season was amazing and then sort of went missing towards the end of the season. But I feel Formula is such a difficult sport, a uh, difficult series for the drivers to get their heads around and it, once you get your head around it you can be very good but we've seen so many good drivers come in and, and, and struggle like Gary Paffett like Gary Paffett is a DTM double DTM champion I believe he is so, but then he came he came into Formula E and struggled so there are some real good drivers that, that if you have to get the hang of it so Pascal Verlaine for getting the hang of it and being competitive quite quickly, I think that automatically makes it a really good season, a really good rookie season. I agree, yep. He had to learn a lot, and you could see that he has the raw pace. He is an amazing talent. That's not me looking through my German German goggles, um, but, but he, he is amazingly talented. And um, we saw him arriving in Marrakesh and already putting the car three tenths of a second ahead of his far more experienced teammate in qualifying. And uh, he started the race from... Where did he start the race from? P7, I think, in in Marrakesh. And D'Ambrosio just inside the top ten. D'Ambrosio, in the end, went on to win the race, and Verlein retired after contact on lap one with Lucas. But you could already sense that... Pascal, there was something special. Yeah, he is a very special driver and a very, very quick driver at that. And he still had to learn FE, though. And that's the thing that's been holding him back. 
and I think the finish to the Mexico race only underlines that impression. The mistake he did uh, in the chicane, we all remember the scene, him having to cut the chicane and then running out of energy a couple of meters, inches before the line. Um, that mistake wouldn't have happened if we had experience. A Jean-Rick Vern or Sebastian Buemi would not have done that mistake um, had it not been for Nissan's strategists, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Nissan didn't make the last <laughs> lap. Um, but uh, <laughs> generally, the drivers themselves wouldn't have done these kinds of mistakes because they had experience. Pascal didn't have the experience, and that's totally fine. But if he had more knowledge of the car and more knowledge about how and where to save energy... I sound like an armchair expert now, do I? Um, <laughs> and if he had the experience of how of how to Formula E, basically, I don't think he would have run out of energy just these couple of meters before the line. Um, should have, could have, would have. Um, he ended the season in P12 uh, with a podium and a couple of situations in which he almost won. Um, he can be proud of himself. Uh, he did show a good season and uh, he did show a lot of promise as well uh, just like HWA is a team as Pascal did show a lot of potential um, for uh, yeah for next year as a driver one word answer will we see him on the Formula E grid next season yes okay right so BMW so I think BMW this season was just a tale of what ifs. Now, remember, <laughs> we, if, you, if you remember back to the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about testing and don't believe anything in testing, we all thought BMW were going to smash it. It was their season. BMW had come alive. Hell yeah. And it, it looked like it looked like that might be slightly true, although we were, um, Tech Cheetah were definitely close in Saudi Arabia. But, you know, winning the first race and then it's sort of just... From, from me, from that collision in Marrakesh where Sims and Costa came together, one and two, the season was just never the same again. Yep, that's true. That was their major first turning point. Uh, afterwards, they kind of had the yo-yo season as well. Um, just looking at, for example, Antonio Felix da Costa's results. Um after Marrakesh, his uh, the, the 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 results of his races: P16, P2, P10, P3, P9, P7, P22, P4, P12, P3, P9. <sighs> good and bad, Just good and, and down. bad, good and bad, up and down, roller coaster ride. <laughs> um, yeah, <sighs> we we did expect more from BMW. Uh, in testing or after testing uh, it, of course if you believed the data we saw in testing uh, you would have expected more from BMW um, but even so they won the first race in my opinion Tachita was better in Adiria and they should have won the race and I think in the opinion of many others as well BMW weren't the quickest ones in, in Saudi Arabia uh, still they took the victory they, they took the victory um, and then Marrakesh, as you say, was the big turning point uh, in their season. Um, Antonio ended up second after Verline's penalty in Mexico as well, 
he was on the podium and Sanya was on the podium in in uh, New York on the Saturday but only because of a team order um, should have been Alex Sims who then uh, ended the Sunday race in P2 <sighs> yeah difficult year for them but generally looking at the year as a whole I think BMW can be happy with their first year as a manufacturer in FE of course there's always potential and there are missed opportunities for them but still, I think but BMW there could can be, be happy with it. opportunities for every team, though, sadly, I would of say. Of course, yeah. And I think BMW can be happy with uh, their season. I think I think they can be. I think they're going to be strong next season. I think there's still going to be a team that's going to be taking it um, to Czech Tita to try and you know challenge for that team's championship, take it to Audi as well, like they did this season. I, I still think they'll be there or thereabouts. I think it, it was a season of what-ifs, but I think they've learned a lot. I think as a team, they've learned a lot and they can move forward into the right direction. So moving on, Nissan. Now, Nissan were the only team with a double twin motor uh, motor unit, power unit, uh, twin motor system, to be more precise. Um, they had an incredible second half of the season. If they had the second half of the season that they did in the first, they would have been walk-off champions. But, you know, they really struggled at the beginning of the season to get their car together, Tobias. Hmm, yep, I would have to agree. Um, especially Buemi had an amazing last four or five races. Um, but they were struggling. I remember qualifying in Sanya, uh, where Buemi was looking set for pole position. And then he binned it because he had a lockup, of course, related uh, to the technology of his Nissan car. Um, just like with BMW, a lot of opportunities that the team missed out on. Um, should have won in Santiago. Um, Buemi as well found himself in the wall after leading the race. Roland found himself in the wall after leading the race in Paris. <sighs> Things Paris, could have gone so differently yeah. for the team. Um, and even more than BMW, they have a lot of opportunities they've missed out on. Um, yeah, it's true. I would agree. Like Nissan, they had they, the first half season was just too many errors. There was just too many things. The efficiency error in Mexico. They went for a double point scoring position. We have to remember that they were like running fifth, fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth, and to to get it wrong and to run a race a lap like finishing a lap earlier than it was going to was just a massive mistake and there's a mistake that you don't really expect to see in Formula E to be honest with you. Maybe you might argue that you'd expect to see it more often. Uh, but you know, it was just it was just too many errors. But they got their act together and the car I think got faster as well. I think they developed it really well. Because coming out of corners and you can definitely see it in Berlin, it was just so quick coming out of that final corner. Like but wait I think boy he got pole just because of that little coming out of that final section by a couple of attempts he just it was just so quick yep an advantage of their powertrain though um which is true yeah and um, it's interesting because you remember you were talking about the homologation date now because they've banned nissan's twin motor setup for next season and obviously they felt sorry for nissan this is like a the felt sorry okay we're gonna take this away from you but what we're gonna do is we're gonna extend 
the homologation deadline. So they have the FIA have extended it, so they've got more time to sort of think about what they're doing. Because I remember there was an interview where Amy said like, we were expecting it to get banned. We were expecting it to get banned, but for season seven. So they were hopeful. So when we were talking about a couple podcasts ago that hopefully they had something up, I don't think they did. I think they were waiting and hopeful that it would be season seven. So they focused on it in season six. But obviously they've had to rethink their whole strategy now. So, you know, that could be that. That's, that's, that's the big question mark, I think, for them going into season six. That's the big question mark going over Nissan's head. I would say that the changes they will have to make aren't that big. It sounds like a major... It sounds like it will have a major impact. Guys, you can't run your twin motor setup any longer. That sounds major, but in uh, like, I would really like our listeners to listen to this podcast. But after you finished this, I I refer you over to the YouTube channel of Chainbear F1, and he's made a video uh, this July called "The Batteryless Hybrid That Never Made It to F1," and that's a really nice and clear explanation of what Nissan have been doing uh, with their twin MGU setup. It's basically a flywheel curse system, similar to what, what's been used in, in F1 between, 20, 2000, uh, between 2009 and whenever they stopped using it, I think 2013, 12, yeah. Well, it might have been around then. Um, and that's pretty much what they've been using, um, just with the deployment being automated and not with a push of a button um apart from that it's pretty similar to the williams flywheel that they've developed all those years ago and that's of course a change and that will take some time and development and investment and you will have to work on your powertrain if you read these new regulations and we're planning on running a twin mgu still i don't think it will have that much of an implication and um i'm i'm optimistic for them be still being competitive um next year of course they had the big advantage of their of their flywheel this year um and that made the difference in a lot of situations especially with the qualifying format um the nissans could qualify well although they were in q1 or q2 uh, to be fair, the most part of the year they spent in Q3, but they did. They were able to qualify in good positions, uh, thanks to that flywheel setup. Um, and it's not that much of a change. Uh, maybe that's what I'm, I'm aiming at, at with uh, all my ramblings here. Uh, it's not that well, much. What of I think a change. about is what they've learned. Really, it's what they've learned from that, and how much of what they've learned they can sort of bring over without obviously using yeah. a twin motor system, yeah. which they can bring over and still gain something from it. Because the whole point is to try and make. Because that's what they do. They ban something in Formula One. Fine, we'll do it a different way. Like I'm pretty sure Nissan, they'll be looking at different ways to sort of get what they were getting from the twin motor. Maybe not fully be able to get the exact same effects, but at least get some of it. So I think that's sort of the key for Nissan going into the off-season. Virgin Racing. So we're getting to the crux of it now. Top three. Virgin Racing. I think a real strong season for them. You know, Virgin, when I speak to the press officers, when I speak to the people around Virgin, they always say, we're punching above our weight. You know, (laughs) we shouldn't really be a top three team. They always sort of like 
demotivate themselves or drops like not to demotivate themselves but you know what I mean like they talk themselves down they don't say oh yeah we should be aiming for winning championships or finishing top three they just want to be good and consistent and I think that's probably the reason why they finished top three they were pretty consistent this season you know Sam Bird at the start of the season was really <laughs> consistent was leading the championship which you have to remember but then obviously he went off but then that was picked up by Robin Fryens, who then went on to win two more races. So I think in balance, they've had a pretty consistent season. In balance, yeah. I was about to say, they had a consistent season if you're not called Sam Bird. Yes. Uh, well, um, Sam Bird had a good start. <laughs> but then did, yeah. uh, as soon as the four non-scores, it was a, it's easy to forget that he was the championship leader at you know midway point during this season. Yeah. It, you know... He looked not set, I would say, to be champion, but he was on course. You know, he just carried what he was doing on, and he he would have been there or thereabouts in in New York. But it wasn't to be. But I think I think Sam Bird and Robin Fryns are a really good driver pairing. I think they're both very good drivers. I think Robin Fryns has come on a lot this season, to obviously to win those two races. So overall, a fairly consistent season. I would say so too. Yeah, I was really surprised by Robin Fryns actually. Uh, because obviously he was a year out and he spent a year in DTM not racing in Formula E. He was in FE with Andretti in Season 3 before he was replaced by, um, well, first Kamui Kobayashi, then Tom yeah, Blomqvist, then, then Stefan Zarazin. Um, yeah, that's Maybe the BMW influence coming in there, obviously, um, early in, in Season 4. But he spent a year out of Formula E and then... Didn't score a point in, in Saudi Arabia, but was on the podium in his second race back in Marrakesh and had the chance to and win finished it. finished second. Finished second and could have maybe won the race as well. Um, if, if the race and was... And that was a good point for the team because Sam Bird was like fourth as well. So that was a good that was a good haul of points for the team. Yeah, I th- no, I think Sam was third. I think... Oh, was he on the podium with him? It, it was a double podium for, for Virgin... Uh, in, in Marrakesh and then of course as you say France went on to win in, in uh, New York the final race of the year and we have to give it to him for winning in Paris one of the most difficult races to race in this year uh, hail all of a sudden he dominated it sunshine um, and he dominated it with a broken front wing and all of that yeah. sliding across the asphalt of, of the Parisian streets um he did a good job in Paris. Uh, it was a messy race, and he did a good job in winning it, and um, really deserves it. And he finished the season in fourth, just one point ahead of Mitch Evans, and just two points, uh, trading Lucas de Rossi by just two points. Um, he could have been in the top three. And if Virgin continue on with their performance, and if the drivers continue on scoring decent results or good results don't miss out on so many opportunities both drivers had had a streak of four races without points uh this season um in addition to other non-score races if they can stop doing that place and if they pick up their consistency again we will have to keep virgin on our minds for the title hunt next year definitely i would agree to that as well and i think you know despite them sometimes talking themselves down i think you know there's no with the audi powertrain i'm sure the audi powertrain will get better 
going into next season. They're going to be in there or thereabouts. And there's probably no surprise why Audi comes next and finished in P2. Again, it's just another solid season for Audi. But, you know, it doesn't look as solid, I think, as, as it does. I think, like, on the TV, you see, like, you know, you don't know where Audi are or they're, like... You know, they seem to be crashing or they're not doing high up. But by the end of the season, they're always there. And again, they were challenging for that team's championship at the end of the season in New York. So, again, I think maybe for Audi, they would have liked... Maybe it's not a successful season because they probably would have liked to have been team's champions. But again, I would say finishing second is not a bad achievement. They did struggle a lot. Yeah, you're right. Um... Uh, it's not a bad achievement, no. Uh, and I think Audi can be happy with themselves. Um, it's just... How many points is that? 19 behind Diaz to Cheetah? Yeah. Um, that is is good, but as you say, I, I didn't have the feeling that Audi was a top and a front runner in each and every race. Sometimes they were just yeah, so far behind the others. I remember Monaco, obviously... Lucas did retire in that race, but Daniel wasn't the best either, and that was the one and only non-score race for Audi um, this season. Again, a lot more could have been possible for the team, um, but in the end, it's it's a sport, and things go wrong in sports, and especially in motorsports, things go wrong, and or maybe not wrong, but not always according to your ideal plan. And it's just a matter of adapting and of finding pace where there shouldn't be any pace. It's really difficult to put into words. But Audi, they did have a good season, but they also did have more potential, just like any team on the grid, really. But again, obviously, the win in Mexico, which Degrassi sort of stole off Verline. He also won again in, in Berlin. And I suppose maybe one of the main reasons for Audi being where they were in second was probably thanks to Daniel Apt. And obviously, there was all that talk of, you know, Daniel Apt possibly leaving the team. Yes, he doesn't score the big points that Degrassi scores all the time. But he scored in 11 out of 13 rounds. I think it was two races where he didn't score a point. And, you know, in, in Formula E, where it's... You know, it's all about consistency. It's a consistency championship. You know, his points goes a long way towards Audi finishing in second. Absolutely, yep. You could really feel how how much weight was off his shoulders um, in New York because Daniel did struggle with his performance in, in Berlin and especially in Bern. Um, well, he, he was in the top ten in, on both occasions and uh, I think he was sixth in, in Berlin and Bern as well. Um, but still, you could sense that there was something going on um, behind behind the curtains and uh, you could feel the weight coming off, off his shoulders in, in New York. He didn't score... Well, he did score 20 points on both days uh, together, so that's good. Um, but yeah, as I say, Daniel... He, uh, I think he deserves a second. I think he deserves he does, absolutely, yeah. one season. I still think he deserves that seat. You know, there was drivers. I was thinking, okay, there are people like Nick DeFries or you know, they had Nico Muller who's been testing the car quite a few times that they could just drop into that seat and give a and give a go. But to be fair, it's it's a bit like at the moment to compare it. It's a bit like Valtteri Bottas at the moment. 
I don't think Valtteri Bottas has done anything to lose his seat at Mercedes. I don't think Apt had done anything so far this season to actually lose his seat. You know, both drivers are super consistent. So for me, it was a no-brainer, and I'm I'm glad he's 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 really good for the sport. He's really good on social media. I know, really and truly, when you think about things like that, you probably shouldn't consider those things in terms of a driver. But I think he's he's good for Audi. He, he gets is, points, and yes. he's helped him finish second. So for me, it was a no-brainer keeping him. And then, so moving on to the final team, again, fantastic Tech Cheetah winning the championship. They managed to get a redemption from losing the team's championship last season. But I have to give credit to Mark Preston and what Mark Preston has done. Now you have to remember the, the drivers' championship and probably had the fastest car in season four as a customer team to Renault. Now they've got a manufacturer status with DS. Like, I don't want to say that there'll be dominant teams in Formula E, but what Mark Preston's done on the software side of things, because that's where they had to get all their gains. Now with manufacturer status, if they keep Vern for next season, if he doesn't decide to maybe, you know, his stock high and he manages to find a Toro Rosso seat next season, then they, they're the team to beat again next season. It looks like they will be the team to beat next season, yeah. But again, I'll I'll have to wait until November to clearly say who might have the pace or who might not have. Looking at they, season five, they it looks as if they will be one of the favourites going into next year as well, though. Yes. You know, they've done a great job, and they might have been sandbagging a little bit in testing because they weren't, they were quick, but they weren't BMW quick in testing. But then they, in Saudi Arabia, they just came out the blocks, and you have to remember, Vern, yes, they got those drive through penalties, both Vern and, and Lotterer, but Vern dropped down to like sixth, seventh, eighth place, and still fought his way up to second, and it was a real eye opener. And it was a real, like, sorry, lads, we're here, and I feel like they could have won this championship ages ago but the bad luck that they had you know at the beginning of the season some of it reliability some of it just being in the wrong place at the wrong time Mexico like you can't expect you know Nelson Piquet Jr. to go and drive over a top of one of your drivers mm-hmm. you know there was just some bad races in there at the beginning of the season but once they got their act together once Vern got that first win in Zanya it was it was Vern never looked like he was going to lose it Mm, yes, I would say so. He looked very promising in Saudi as well. Um, should have won the race had it not been for the drive-through. Um, Dias to Cheetah were amazing in Adiria. And then their performance kind of declined race by race. Uh, maybe bar Marrakesh for Vern, uh, where we momentarily was 22nd and ended the race in P5. Uh, um, an amazing comeback drive uh, by him there, but Generally, Tachita's pace declined coming out of Saudi and going into China, maybe, and then Van won it. And as you say, he didn't have great races in, in Rome and Paris, but these, I would say, these final five races, um, or th- yeah, generally the final five races, um, th- that those were the ones that made him champion. And in my eyes, he pretty much s- sealed the deal by by burn and only had to defend his championship in new york was under immense pressure in the u.s of course and um did manage to finally close the championship on the saturday and had to do it on sunday 
but he did do the best part of the job in Bern already um, and then with support from Lotterer uh, in the first half of the year him being second in Rome should have won the race or could have won the race but he should have won the race in Hong Kong um, he was second in uh, second to Robin Fryens in Paris as well he did score a lot of good points for Tachita and um, yeah that's the reason they ended the season in first place and not in second or third because they consistently scored good results both drivers didn't always score good results but together they scored decent points for the team and the only race they didn't score poor oh no they had three races uh, three no no scorers um, no points in in Chile uh, where they both took each other out of the race uh, after starting yeah. uh, towards the back end of the grid um, and then Hong Kong uh, you remember the incident Lotterer yeah. retiring on the last lap uh, after his tire being punctured by Sam Bird and of course New York won the Saturday race wasn't the best of days for the team either but still nevertheless Diaz the Cheetah did an amazing job and they are champions and rightly so in my eyes Lovely. So that's a wrap-up of all the teams. Now, before we go, we're just <laughs> going to... There's obviously been a, just a little bit of news that we'll just fill in and we'll get, give out a little bit of opinion. So, BMW announced... Oh, your star man, Tobias. Your star man, hey. Maxi Gunther. He's testing with BMW. Now, that testing with BMW might be on the fact because, potentially, Antonio Felix da Costa might be teaming up again with Mark Preston at Tech Cheetah. What are your thoughts on that? Returning to his old team. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, really... That's the rumour going round. That's the rumour going round, yeah. So the rumour going round is now that Lotras decided to switch teams um, from Tachita to the new Porsche squad, that there, of course, is an open seat at DS Tachita. And argue, uh, apparently... There have been talks already in New York between Tachita and Felix da Costa. And if Felix da Costa decides to switch teams, there's an open slot at BMW. And that open slot might be filled by Max Gunther now. He is testing with a team uh, in Spain uh, this weekend. I think even today, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, I think he should be testing today um, near Barcelona in Calafat. Um... Yeah, very interesting. Um, be, f- f- we just have to wait and see what happens. We just to have to wait and it's see. Still, yeah, it's still it's just early news. It was I was you know surprised BMW announced it like that. Oh, by the way, we're texting Maxi Gunther. Hello, <laughs> but you know it opens 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 a lot of doors and you know it does really open up the driver market if they were to take Gunther. Um, and of course that lowers up seats at Dragon and other places, and you know there could be a few switcheroos going. So. The Costa to Tachita, do you think that's doable? Do you think that? I think, to, for me, I think that makes sense. I think partnering with Mark Preston again for the Costa, they had such a good time. They won that race in Amnon Aguri together <laughs> in Buenos Aires in season one. Oh, good times. You know, I didn't really cons- I didn't really consider the Costa for that seat, but then when I thought about it, and I was like, oh yeah, Mark Preston, and when his name was linked, I was like, yes, that probably makes sense. Yeah, they were linked in New York even when when the rumors started. Even before all the journalists left New York, there were rumours going around that Antonio Felix Acosta might soon be talking or joining Tachita. Uh, 
and it seems more and more likely day by day now. Um, we will have to wait for confirmation, of course, and I'll have to, I'll have to emphasize that we have no idea as of now about any signed contract. I don't think the contract has been signed. Um, no. between Tachita I think there's a lot BMW. of drivers they could test. I think there's a because, lot of people there. Yeah, there are a lot of drivers knocking on Mark Preston's door. And the same applies to uh, to Roger Griffiths, of course, at BMW. Um, and Jens Markvart as well. BMW is a very popular team, I would, I would say. And both obviously are talking to many drivers. Um, whether that be in any serious way or not, um, it seems rather serious between Tachita and Felix da Costa, and it seems rather serious serious between Max Günther and um, and BMW. He's obviously Bavarian. BMW is Bavarian, um, and he doesn't have his Mercedes links anymore. Remember, Max Günther yeah. once used to be a Mercedes junior driver, but he doesn't have these links anymore. So he's pretty much a privateer driver now he won't be a factory driver yeah. right out of the gates um but he is on the open market just like any other driver might be uh and he's not associated with anyone um and is open for talks and i'm sure he's i mean he's shown a lot of performance and a lot of potential this year and um yeah that that might have been a good Good application for a job interview at BMW yes. in Munich. I saw Timo Glock was also interested in it as well, but we might get. Just, I can just see the memes with "Is that Glock?" <laughs> um, it, on on everywhere on on social media yeah, if that but happens. But it would be quite funny. To be fair, the right then I think we. Sh to be fair, the Timo Glock story. Go on, just, go on, just, go on. just quickly on that, the Timo Glock story is just an interest in Formula, not in driving in Formula E. Um, of course, he, he would like to drive in Formula E. I would like to drive an FE as well. But <laughs> generally, Timo Glock well, we has been on the record saying that he enjoys watching FE and that he might one day have the possibility to test a car and that he would like to do it. But there's nothing nothing serious concrete. linking, yeah. nothing concrete linking. Neither Timo Glock nor Philip Eng or any of the of the uh, DTM drivers, apart from maybe Bruno Spangler, linking them to... Because he's driven it before in the um, rookie test, I'm yep. pretty sure. And so, Mark, and so has Marco Whitman. Um, they might be linked to the BMW drive, but by now it looks like it might... Yeah, it might be... Might as well be Max Günther. Um, there's no clear favourite in that. Right then. I think perfect time to end. I hope you really enjoyed our little end of season review. Thank you so much to Bias for being on again. Thanks for having me. No worries. Make sure. Um, thank you again for everyone who's commented. Thank you for everyone again who's liking the video and, and supporting the podcast over all its platforms. We really do appreciate it. But we will be back in a couple of weeks time. I think me and Tobias are jetting off on our holidays for a little bit. But Hopefully by the end of August, we'll be back with another podcast. Okay, catching up on all the latest news and maybe just talking some Formula E. Or not. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> right, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.